We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to a Tuesday edition of the OBR Film Breakdown. Joined by Andrew Spade. As usual, we will have a lot of commentary around training camp day 11. The thought and theory around Brown's practices and the rigid or less rigid nature of those practices, plus a ton of injury updates that have been going on in Berea. All of that and more on the latest OBR Film Breakdown. Rainy day at Brown's camp. Some interesting pieces of information come out. Andrew Spade joins me. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, Jake. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it was a, it was really coming down there for a while at Brown's camp. It's strange to see it rain that much, but no lightning. So I think maybe good for them that they were able to get a full practice in the rain. Uh, yeah, in outdoors. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something we should talk about. We'll get there. Uh, how they sort of structure practice. The thing that popped out first was the injuries it kind of came out of nowhere i didn't hear anything about isaiah thomas or alex wright having any injury issues we should kind of backtrack it that's on me uh this morning it broke that at least yesterday we knew they had worked out charles wiley but today we figure out this morning that they have signed charles wiley uh to, to the organization which an edge which kind of made you raise an eyebrow because okay that's sort of interesting uh we saw these guys play at the hall of fame game we know that they had a public practice i didn't see anybody say anything about injuries uh, at least of any significance. So Charles Wiley signs. He's been in the NFL for just one year. He was a UDFA out of um, Texas San Antonio, and I think he, he ended up transferring to Ole Miss. So he came out of Ole Miss, 6'2", 251. Goes by the name Chuck. I like the name Chuck. I think that old school Charles Chuck element, Andrew, throwing that at you out of nowhere. Um, yeah, Chuck, Chuck he, he Wiley was, sounds like he played defensive tackle for the Eagles in the 70s. He did, and he sounded like he was pretty damn good. So he was in yeah. the XFL, had a nice moment in there um during his college days 115 defensive snaps uh, sorry preseason 150 this is what's impressive i mean at least eyebrow raising and the 22 preseason 115 snaps 12 pressures two sacks and just 73 pass rush attempts there that's pretty promising you like that yeah and a pretty yeah. good athlete i mean as far as this testing goes like a four five forty guy with a you know uh, apparently the 10 yard split is the secret element we've learned during during uh during the camp or during the draft run up last year it was like this Got to have a 10 yard split in this range and his 10 yard split is in that range, but he's a 33 and a half vertical guy, a good broad jump. 
and 27 bench reps, all of which are really good. So he fits the athlete criteria. Uh, we'll see. Like I said, he was with, uh, I think he was with Baltimore during the UDFA process, Baltimore. And then uh, I think he spent a little bit of time somewhere else. I'm trying to remember where it was off the top. I think maybe the Giants. Anyway, good job by me. Right. He was in a couple yeah. different places um, before he came over. So uh, that's the first thing that happens. And then, like I said, little eyebrow raising are weird that they're sort of hunting defensive ends. And then we come to figure out that Isaiah Thomas and Alex Wright both have issues with their knees, which we don't know the severity. We don't know the length. I guess it could run into it could run into the uh, pre the, into the regular season. I don't know. Did you get any clarity on that? Yeah, and you know the, the it sounds like. I think it was Jake Trotter said that it could be a month or two for Thomas and that Wright was a little bit less severe than that. The thing that was interesting from the uh, press conference, they asked uh, Stefanski, did they get hurt in the game? Talking about Wright and Thomas. One guy got hurt in the game. One guy got hurt before. But that has to be a mistake. I know Alex Wright played a lot. They both played. So that has to be, he has to have misspoke, right? Well, yeah, you wouldn't they, wouldn't be missing wouldn't, as much time if you played in the game and all of that, right? Am they, I, and I they wouldn't play a guy in a preseason game that had an existing knee injury. Yeah, like I'm saying, if he tweaked it, like, hey, man, that kind of felt right. weird in, in warm right. ups, but I'm going right. to give it a go. Yeah, it, I, I haven't looked. I don't. I don't think their snap count numbers are out of the ordinary. And I know Alex Wright was kind of making. Yeah, he was play. involved, he did okay. and, and Thomas was in the second yeah. half too. I remember Thomas having a few splash plays in this. I just think that's such a weird quote, and they didn't. Nobody followed up on it. I don't know. He has to have misspoken. It has to have been that one of them got hurt in the game and the other one got hurt after the game or, you know, on a, a train, you know, doing some some weightlifting or something like that. Hmm. It's the only thing that makes sense. No, no way that one of them was hurt going into the Hall of Fame game and then still played. That doesn't make any sense. And then he, he was asked, Stavansky was asked, uh, when you say missing time, does that uh, lead into the season? And he said it could. So, yeah, I think both are questions now for the beginning of the year. Not great, not great. Right no. now, we've if we look at injuries sort of cumulatively, they these are people that have either missed some time, dinged up, whatever. Greg Newsom's got the groin; he didn't practice again. Tristan Hill, Alex yep. Wright, Thomas Graham's been designated and let go. Same for D- Dalen Baldwin. Now Jerome Ford today comes mm-hmm. up limp with a. I think he might have another hamstring, some sort of hamstring or groin issue. I know that yeah, Mary Kay Cabot wrote that she saw him on the way out and he like gave her the thumbs up or something. So maybe it's not that serious. I will not be that worried about running back replacements because I mean, there's just a <laughs> there's a, a yeah. roster of free agent running backs yeah. that you could you could bring in to help out things. So Jerome Ford, Drew Forbes, and Isaiah Thomas. So for a team, again. It doesn't seem to be killing themselves in practice at times. <laughs> it is a long list of injuries here. Now, again, yeah. we also singularly focus on the Browns. So there are other right. teams, there are other injury situations. We'll talk about that. But like this is the list and it's kind of growing. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of stacking up a little bit. So we'll see if Charles Wiley has any impact or what he looks like. I mean, guys like Austin Watkins that they've brought in have handled their opportunity really well. So maybe there's a chance for somebody to come in and maybe earn a spot there until Alex writes back. I mean, Wright didn't miss any time last year. He doesn't have much of an injury history at all. I know Isaiah Thomas dealt with a foot issue last year. So, I mean, you know, just taking what evidence we have in front of us, it does seem like there are times where he's beat up and there was some stuff back in his Oklahoma days that popped up as well. So we'll see. I mean, Alex Wright is the one there that matters the most. I think that's fair to say. So we'll keep an eye closely on that. The other big piece of news outside of Newsom, which we talked about dealing with the groin and then, Obviously, seeing today that that uh, Jerome Ford left. Hopefully, Ford is back in time to have some 
sort of preseason impact, I still wouldn't be surprised if they added a running back. They, they, they let go of Nate McRae. So that leaves them with Felton and um, John, John Kelly. Kelly. Yep. And that's it. Well, Hassan the, Hall. Yeah. So three backs. I, yeah. I really wouldn't be surprised if we see them working out a running back and bringing somebody in there. Not mm-hmm. necessarily a meaningful name, right. but uh, somebody to just sort of carry, carry the burden. Because I don't think Nick's going to take a single carry in the preseason. And he shouldn't take a single carry in the preseason. Correct. So um, we'll see on that front. But otherwise, the, the Harrison Bryant thing is getting weird. Skin weird. Yeah. So we yeah. we noticed that Harrison Bryant has been missing, and they asked about it at media today. And they signed Miller Forrestall, which again, you're talking about just some things raise the eyebrow. Miller Forrestall, they know who he is. They didn't want him back. They know who he is. They know what the ceiling is. They know he can kind of show up and maybe play 15 snaps for you if you need it, but they'd rather do some flirtation with some different, maybe higher upside guys, whatever, whatever. They bring him back out of nowhere. And then today, Stefanski was asked about, specifically asked about what's going on with Harrison, who's been held out. And he said, I want to make sure I get this quote right. As I'm scrolling through Fred Greetham's Twitter, you should be following Fred because he posts tons of updates at practice. He does a really good job of, of doing, like, clips are hard to come by, Andrew, as you yeah. know. And, like, I think Fred yeah. does a pretty decent job and he gets up in front of. He does of, the best of any beat reporter, yeah. I think. Him and uh, yeah. uh, Cameron Justice does a really nice yeah. job oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, Cam, Cam does a great job too. Yep, um, good call. He said, Stefanski on Harrison Bryant, it's a medical condition. I can't really comment on it. That's yep. that's strange. Yep. That's strange. And that yeah. it sounds blood clotty. And I'm saying like that's the same sort of severity <laughs> type thing where yeah. like it's something, yeah. no, it's not like he pulled a hamstring or something it sounds like he right. could have something it's a, real it's a, it's, a, it's a non-football injury clearly right because if it's a football mm-hmm. injury the coach is by definition allowed to comment on it yep uh th- this is the reason he can't comment on it is because it's a violation of you know medical privacy right laws hipaa laws so uh, until bryant gives the team a release basically to allow them to discuss it uh publicly the browns can't say they can't disclose it so for example with the goodwin thing Goodwin had to allow them to do that um, because yeah. it's again, it's a non-football issue. So he Goodwin gave them the okay before training camp to let, you know, they released that big statement that had quotes from Goodwin and kind of an assessment of where he was. And so they did it. You know, it's not the same as a football injury where the, you know, they'll be dismissive of, Oh, it's a groin and you know, it's two days and you know, they just kind of, they wave it away. This medical stuff is a very, it's treated entirely differently because there's legal ramifications. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's deeply concerning and, and the forest all signing, you know, kind of points that direction. Now, Harrison Bryant is the third tight end, you know, and, and was never going to be more than the third tight end on this team with David Njoku and Jordan Aikens ahead of him. So there's a ceiling to how much it can matter, but I, I, I guess concerning from the standpoint of, you, you know, you want Harrison Bryant to be okay. Certainly you don't want, you know, another Browns player to have this sort of like lingering medical issue. It's, uh, you know, because it, those things it's it, this is more important than football is what i'm trying to get to is you yeah. know this is this is about a person's well-being again there's no history of this now i i don't right. i don't really know to a perfect degree if he has any florida atlantic could have had something in high school there's a lot to learn here mm-hmm. you never know people hide conditions all the time because why does the public need to know if you have any condition you know it doesn't right. matter unless it just gets out there but it's uh it's scary and you hope that he's fine you know you hope it's not related to anything that's happened on the field, concussion-based stuff or anything like that. So we will obviously be the first to let you know when yeah. we hear anything, but the Miller-Forrestall signing to me screams that 
there's at least some doubt that this guy is going to be a part of things this year. Like there's a non-zero chance that Agreed. this could be, this could be pretty serious. So uh, it's, it's really unfortunate. We'll hope it works out for the best, but that kind of wraps up injuries at practice. It seemed like you know, there's some, some, some tweets about it. It looked like the offense had one of their better days, right? I would mm-hmm. say Deshaun seemed to be pretty good. And I think we saw some fun stuff from Elijah Moore out of the backfield uh, Anthony Schwartz caught a touchdown kind of on a little scramble drill from Dorian Thompson Robinson. So that again was as always fun to see Anthony Schwartz find any, <laughs> any level of success, but I saw, you know, some, some runs from Nick Chubb that looked kind of promising in that mold as well. Uh, as, as far as uh, Nick broke away from one and they must've been doing something situationally because he fell down at like the five yard line and sparked that whole fun debate uh, all over again. Um, but, but it looked like the offense having one of, one of their better days and we, we need, they need that and you need to have some balance. I think the defense has been holding their own in, in a large respect in a lot of these sessions and, and the offense has done some, some fine things too. Right. But, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's been defensive late. So it's good to see the offense find a nice day there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was starting to be some concerns from a lot of people you know, not just like fans on Twitter, but people that were watching the practices, media members, that the defense was winning a lot of red zone drills. They were winning a lot of the 11 on 11 periods. You know, we we talked about it a few days ago. It makes sense to me that the defense is ahead of the offense at this phase of camp, right? Because Mm -hmm. if, if Jim Schwartz is doing his job, they should be, you know, pretty, you know, his whole thing has been about simplifying this defense and getting these guys to play more instinctively. So I think it's good that they they seem to be doing that, right? Especially in the secondary, they seem to be really giving the Browns offense some fits. And so that I think that's good news. But having said that, you know, if you had to pick a, a side of the ball that you would want to be elite this year, you'd pick the offense, right? So mm-hmm. even at a certain point, if the defense is playing well, you still want to see the offense get their fair share. Because, uh, you know, I, I know... I mean, you know, again, we cover the Browns. We don't spend a lot of time uh, watching uh, training camp of other teams, but I, I guarantee you that the Chiefs offense is not losing a lot of training camp sessions to the Chiefs defense, for example, right? So, yep. uh, you know, Pat, Pat Mahomes is out there throwing screen passes behind his back. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a different standard, obviously, but you want to see the offense kind of start to catch back up and make this, you know, it should be blow for blow, right? You want two top 10 units, each giving each other their best. That's what you want. You always have to be careful because you're not there. And it's, it's always, you get these people who are saying two different things from consuming the same practice, which I don't think there's anything nefarious in that. You can, you can quite literally consume it. I mean, I see it all the time as I try to write on the X's and O's of this game, people see one thing and they see it completely differently than you. And you're trying to right. like, how on earth can you see it that way? So you want to be a little bit careful. Obviously we try to do the best we can holding preseason games is the standard because that's actual tangible evidence that we can, you know, we can touch and see and all of that stuff that matters. So uh, we, you know, we try to balance that. We're just telling you what other people are saying who are there, who are live every day to try to give you some perspective on that. Otherwise the weather, we talked about the weirdness of going out and not having any lightning. Well, I mean, I'm generally a fan of practicing in the rain because, you know, Sundays are not anti-rain days. There's going to be, there's going to be rain on Sundays when you watch your favorite football team every now and again, and they should be prepared for that. But you brought up an interesting point about just one example of what's going on in Pittsburgh and the question of whether, you know, whether the Browns are pushing their guys enough, right? Because 
this is brought on. It's not, I think I've heard Tony Grossi say it and there's some old school to this, right? I, I mean, yeah, for sure. It's just, it is what it is, right? Fred Greetham and those guys have seen many camps. Fred mentioned it in our Slack today. They have seen many, many camps over the years, dating back to, to Bernie and the guys. And when they would travel and the football was just sort of played differently. Now, a lot of restrictions in today's game can't do the two a days. It has all really morphed and, and changed and you might not like it. It's kind of like the college football realignment stuff. It's not what it used to be, but you know, you have to find a level of comfort with what it is now, but there's probably a fine line you're walking. We all remember the infamous Hugh Jackson, I drive this bus right. comment and, and all that came with sort of like, you know, that and Todd Haley questioning him. And uh, that scene was the most uncomfortable, awkward scene in Hard Knocks history. I have to imagine yep. it was up there. And I'm not we're not saying that here. I'm not saying right. that the Browns are not unified in every single angle of what they're doing as a coaching staff, training staff, deciding around guys. Uh, how they're handling practice, so on and so forth. But it does begin to become fair, in my opinion, to sort of say, are they doing enough? I think that question is is fair. Yeah. Now, the injuries are a, a thing where you could say, you, you know, th- is it worth even referencing because they're dealing with a lot of injuries? I'll leave it to you. Make your point about Pittsburgh, and then we'll come back and, and re- revisit. Quickly. Yeah. So, so, and actually, it's the injuries that made me start thinking about this, right? Because I have mm-hmm. written, you know, I've been trying to do this sort of daily thought box that's just, you know, my sort of brain dump on what the previous day of training camp was. Big picture stuff, you know, nothing uh, too specific, but just like things that, th- things that we can kind of take away from a, a day at training camp. And earlier in the in the training camp, I I had given the the you know the coaching staff and the training staff credit because they didn't have any injuries for the first you know six seven eight days. They were largely injury free, certainly of of any serious injuries. And it's like okay, well that that makes you feel like the way that they're you know I mean remember the first day they 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 were down in West Virginia. It was a, a walkthrough, right? And then the second day it was a, a light practice. The first day they were in pads was a walkthrough and only individual, no 11. On, I mean, they have, they have gone very slow with this whole thing. Right. And the thought was you go that slow, you have extra acclimation time. Kevin Stefanski talked to this. He said, we've got more time so we can bring them along more slowly. The thought is the slower you bring them along, the body acclimates and you don't have these soft tissue injuries. Well, I, I know that not all of these are soft tissue injuries, but here we are on, on day 11 and all of a sudden there's a there's a dozen guys on the injured list right and some of them are going to are going to miss regular season time so all of a sudden the plan to go slow it feels like maybe it's one of those things where you're trying to make an omelet without breaking any eggs you know like football's a contact sport there are going to be injuries not to say you want to be reckless but so i i just started to get to thinking of of well how do other teams do this because we as you have said a few times we follow the browns we pay attention to the browns and i had seen on twitter Somebody mentioned that the Steelers have practiced from Wednesday last week through Sunday every day without a day off, which is, the I believe, the most days consecutively you can practice under the current collective bargaining agreement. And four of those days were in pads. They played, they were at, they do the Friday night lights thing at the high school in Latrobe. They were practicing Friday night and then they were back out there in pads on Saturday morning. So if you want a contrast of, approaches to how you know how you practice and how you keep guys safe this is this is as as clear a contrast as you can find and it's right down the road with your division rival now you know you then you think well okay but do the Steelers have 30 guys that are hurt they don't if you look at their practice reports it's 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 really similar to where the Browns are at now here's here's the craziest thing Jake that really just drove drove this home for me the Browns started training camp on July 22nd 
in West Virginia. The Steelers started training camp on July 27th in Pennsylvania. So five days later, as of Sunday, before today's practice for the Browns, but as of yesterday, the Browns and Steelers had both practiced 10 times. Now, the Browns played a game, so that's more reps, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think it really speaks to there were some days off in there. The, the, you know, they had the day off on Saturday for the Hall of Fame, right? They had the, 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 the days off for the travel around getting down to West Virginia and getting back. Um, there were some days off in there that they didn't need to, according to the collective bargaining agreement, take. And if it, I get my bottom line is this, uh, you know, and I want to read this quote from Mike Tomlin. If you, if you are not keeping your players safe, this isn't the quote. This is if you're not keeping your players safe and injuries are still going to happen, then you might just be costing your team the opportunity to get ready for the physical demands of the season. Listen to what Mike Tomlin had to say about this, because I think he really frames it well in terms of what he's trying to accomplish. This isn't about being tougher or some old school mindset of, you know, making guys puke, uh, you know, and, and running them till they drop. This is he's being thoughtful about this. He said it was a significant weekend, referring to this past weekend. We worked last night and had the opportunity on a short turnaround to bounce back and deliver again today. We do those things thoughtfully because we want to harden this group, not only in terms of their physical preparation, but their mental preparation. He said the last 24 hours is reflective of how the season can be from time to time. And then he goes on to say, you take moments like this, coupled with the aches and pains in an environment like this, and you also want to teach them and train them. I like those things. I like the mental approach of the group. And so you you hear all of that, and then you hear the way that Kevin Stefanski talks about practice and training camp. And I, maybe this is an unfair comparison, Jake, you tell me. I flash back to the last game of the season last year when both teams knew, for the most part, that they were not in playoff contention, and one team went out and dominated the other physically. That's what I flashed to. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of fair concern. We'll put it that way. Fair, fair concern around um, sort of all, all of it. I mean, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that we've thought the Browns are the more physical team. Look, Mike Tomlin, I think could could really take it easy on his guys, and they would probably still be. I, I just, <laughs> it, they. I hear you. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm waiting. There have been times though where the Browns have been. T- we we're 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 kind of. They came to Cleveland early in the year. I thought the Browns beat the shit out of them. They really, and they yeah, said right. that. Cam right. Hayward, after the you game, right. said that right. they physically beat the shit out of us up front. So That's there are point. times where the Browns are meeting that that mm-hmm. level. But again, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh has it's it's a it's a it's a it's a mental thing. Now right. it's not that the Steelers also haven't dealt with some series, and and it's not just sort of evaluating this on the scale of right now it's the end season and do these sure. body blows hurt right. them in season i don't yep. know man i'm not right. good enough with the science i understand what tomlin is trying to do i think there's no doubt he's trying to get his team physically prepared but make them mentally tougher because i think you and i like a lot of people evaluating the upcoming season look at pittsburgh and say this team doesn't quite have the level of skill that other teams do across the board in the division. And he's probably trying to do something very, very, very much, uh, you know, strategy based here, Andrew, that is we're tougher than everybody. We done right. it. Think about, what we did at camp and it might work. Yeah. There's also a chance that the Jimmy's and Joe's of the division, just, they don't care. And right. they're just, they make more plays and it doesn't ultimately matter. I do think it is a question would be, you know, what do you, why you differ from this approach? It's obvious. Right. Is there a rationale behind it? 
Right. Maybe he's gotten some science. And again, maybe oh, I'm sure he to, has. Back I'm to sure he Jackson, has. who was kind yep. of in the same boat. It's yep. really coach's preference on this. Now, again, Fred mentioned that this is the softest camp he's been around. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I think that we would, we're seeing some of these injuries issue, the injury issues mount up here. And that's, that's fair to have a concern about. I think though, if you get all the guys, the thing that would suck the most is losing guys that matter before week one. And they really haven't Agreed. lost anybody Agreed. that matters. So Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, if we I, look at them mid season and they're getting beat and their will is taken and they're not mentally yeah. tough. Right. And at times we have seen that. Yes. It will cost the, Kevin yes. his job. It's yeah. going to eventually get there. But again, that also then harkens back to if Hugh Jackson thought this way and practiced this approach, and you know everything about Kevin Stefanski and their strategy to hire him, you would have asked these questions. Right. They can't hire somebody then. They can't hire somebody. Then that yeah. goes all the way back to the ownership issue that we've been talking yep. about yep. for a yep. decade plus. Yeah, I, I think about it just in terms of, you know, the, the what what's interesting to me is there's sort of two dimensions to this culture thing that they're trying to solve right they they were very public about the the trip to the Greenbrier was about enhancing team togetherness you know and mm-hmm. and getting guys to to kind of buy in and you know honestly that was one of the things that I liked about the the Hall of Fame game right is that guys seem to really be rooting for each other excited there was a lot of you know when when DTR had some of those bigger plays there were a lot of guys excited when Bubba Bolden caught that interception you know half the team was on the field they got flagged for it I like stuff like that. That looks good yeah. to me. I think the other dimension of culture that you need to you need to also address is toughness, right? And because there's not an NFL season that goes perfectly, right? Every NFL team faces adversity. And the the your point about the Browns dominating the Steelers in in September and then getting, you know, but but then we know they got dominated by them in January. I think that is kind of the concern, right? Is is the the Browns at their best are probably I think we think are are you know right there talent wise with the other major teams in the in the league but how they handle that adversity how they lock in when they get down two touchdowns right or you know the defense has a really uh, rough first half and gives up you know uh, uh, you know blows a coverage and you know the the offense has to come from behind those are the sorts of things that are that really are addressed more by toughness than sort of team cohesion. And, I, you know, I think that there are some questions to be asked here. And I mean, I think, you know, you did sum it up that if it continues to be a problem, it's a, it's somebody's job. And, and then it becomes a question of if they can fix that problem. Because I think, you know, to, a, to another point you made, I think that the approach that Stefanski is taking is the preferred approach of not just Stefanski, but also Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta, I, because I think the data supports giving these guys more acclimation time, right? And I think it's just, it's an interesting philosophical difference. And it, you know, as we have talked about many times, the fact that the other, you know, the other team on this example is your AFC North rival makes it so relevant, right? Because the Browns will see the Steelers at the beginning and end of the season or middle, you know, I mean, it, so it, it, every year it, it, it ends up mattering on the field the same way. And, and you get to measure these teams against each other directly. Yeah, I mean, it's a measuring stick where it feels like the end of the year. You you could be right. I mean, I mean, 2020 was different, obviously. I mean, we, we're trying to balance, like, the perspective here. There's no doubt that the Browns have folded in a couple late-season scenarios, right, these past two years. And, and it is certainly 
I mean, something I'm not, I don't think either of us are saying there's something here. Like we would prefer a different approach. I, I don't, I'm not here to say what the right or wrong thing is here. I don't have enough. I feel like I don't have enough data on either side. I certainly think I understand why Tomlin is doing it the way he's doing it. it you know, both teams give rest days. Both teams do veteran rest days, right? right? So right. it is, there are some parallels here, but I, but I understand, you know, Pittsburgh is very much taking a nobody believes in us approach to the mm-hmm. season. And from mm-hmm. that, I think there is, is Tomlin and, and I don't have, I don't have this comparison from years, previous years. There's two things I wish we could do. One is I wish that we could, you could send your beat reporters to not only the team you're covering camp, but to go to some other ones to see and mm-hmm. cross compare. Like mm-hmm. what's a Ravens day look like? What does a Pittsburgh right. day look like? Mm-hmm. I think that would have real value. I don't know if you're not allowed to do that. Uh, I don't know what the determining factor is there, but yeah. to me, it would be a fascinating thing to write on. Like, Hey, I visited Baltimore camp and, they're doing these things really different. John Harbaugh had these things to say about right. it, right? right. So yep. I don't know. I think that that would hold a lot of a lot of value. But I would also like to know, is this the norm? Or is Tomlin doing it differently this year than he right. has in previous years? Because he's, again, trying to sort of do something unique with this group, which he feels is good enough, but maybe, again, is being scrutinized and he wants to give them a mental edge. I don't know. I think that's it's all worth talking about. Yeah, I know that in years past and 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 this year again, the Steelers have drills where they tackle to the ground, which is un uncommon in the NFL certainly, but common in Pittsburgh. And uh, you know, they they do a backs on. It's not quite the Oklahoma drill, but they do a backs on backers drill. And and Tomlin specifically, I was reading an article about the Pittsburgh practices, which I don't normally do, but it was enlightening. Uh, Tomlin specifically delayed that session. Uh, to Saturday because he wasn't there Friday night because he had to go to Canton for the gold jacket dinner because of uh, right. Rondé Barber's thing. So um, so he delayed the backs on backers thing until Saturday so he could see it. So I, I know, I, I don't think it's it's a normal thing league-wide, but I know for Pittsburgh, that sort of physicality is a feature of their training camp every year. And, you know, they go to that small college and Latrobe and all these things. I know that that's not typical for NFL teams, but, and it's, and yes, I agree with you, Jake. I am not saying they sh- the Browns should do what the Steelers do, right? That's not what I'm advocating for. I I'm just trying to draw uh, a comparison. It because, is worthwhile, yes. Because the the again, I'll say it one more time. The the thing that sells you on the Browns' approach is avoiding injuries. When the injuries start cropping up, even though they have taken a bunch of off days, then are we? Are we? Are you gain? What are you gaining? I guess is my question. If the injuries are still happening, what are you gaining? You you made some great points about maybe later in the season they're fresher, or you know, not nobody of of true consequence has gotten hurt yet. I just think it's an interesting question to ask at this stage of the training camp. And this is what happens, by the way, when training camp lasts for six weeks. Is you 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 dig into all this stuff, right? You do, and it it is certainly something that you can have discussions on, and whether you would you would want to ask some of the guys involved and there have been like, I don't know that there have been any Kevin's players that have transferred over, like gone to Pittsburgh and like off the top of my head, but it would be interesting to hear, you know, guys who have come to Cleveland, who have played at other places. Marquise Goodwin would be a great example. Jamarcus Jamarcus Bradley is in Pittsburgh this year. Okay. Yeah. Asking somebody that has been, uh, and it doesn't have to just be Pittsburgh. It can be other places. Right. 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 What is Cleveland's camp like to you? 
right? Yeah. That would or be New England. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be worth it would be worth um having a discussion on. So I'm gonna call Jamarcus right after the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know his number. <laughs> um no, it's it's fascinating and it and and like looking back at it, you know, what do coaches think or I I, I'm going to say that I, I, and I know you would probably agree with me that I have no reason to doubt them on this. I have felt like at the beginning of seasons, they've been fine to go ready to play health wise. They've been fine for the most part. They have not a lot of time here. So I'm knocking on the wood on my desk. Yeah. They've not had those things happen that, Oh my God thing happen, Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey type thing. But um, yes. they have felt ready. There have been mental lapses at the beginning of seasons that have drove me nuts, thinking about the Panthers' comeback, the mm-hmm. secondary issues. And there have been um, just, I, I think, a a strong will to close games has been the the issue at the beginning of seasons yep. for them. So, yep. you know, think back to 2020, but it's a little hard to 2020 new coach going into Baltimore the way they did and got eviscerated. Mm. That's mm. a little tricky. But, you know, again... They won last year to open the season. We'll see what they do this year. And then from there, it's like they're just these little quarters of a year. So I don't mean right. like by the end of the year, are you thinking back to training camp? Like and maybe, maybe it is something that you get. I mean, Tomlin believes in it. And I'm sure there are others yeah. around the league who believe in it. We'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see. Yeah. It's, it's another piece to just discuss if uh, if things go good or bad. We'll, we'll, right. we'll discuss it. So all right, we're going to take a break. And then very quickly, we're going to do continuing our discussion around these um uh these position groups we're going to do defensive tackle from uh the the preview we're, we're almost calling it a preview slash review looking at position so i know you're all excited defensive tackle coming after the break we'll be right back we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Defensive tackles up, Andrew. We're going to talk about it. It is a position that is likely to change after this conversation. I, I hope it. Uh, yeah. I hope it changes a little bit after this conversation. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Currently on the roster: Michael Dwumfor, Jordan Elliott, Tristan Hill, Maurice Hurst, Siaki Ika, Tommy Togiai, Dalvin Tomlinson. That's your mm-hmm. current roster. They also ended up the other night playing. Um, they ended up playing an edge inside some Sam, Sam Kamara Sam, played yeah, inside Kamara, and he yeah. was, you know, some, some moments there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's go through these guys. Let's talk about the, the angles that we're taking. Uh, at least we have been the guy that has the most on the line of the defensive yeah. tackle group. I think there's, <laughs> there's quite a few of them that have the most on the line. I would say I'll, 
I will go with Jordan Elliott just largely because we have seen Jordan Elliott now for so long, and it feels like they're still expecting something out of that young man, and I'm confused to it, but they seem to want to do it. Uh, it's, I mean, again, if the season started tomorrow, and I know it doesn't, and there's still time for you know wiggle room on roster construction, I totally get it. But if the season started tomorrow, he's starting, and he just started yep. in the Hall of Fame game, and that is like confounding to me because yep. it's not like I mean Shelby Harris is out there, but who knows? And it's like there's no guarantee that this gets solved. So yeah. Maurice Hurst was out there, and he was out there. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. know, man. I will say Elliot just because mm-hmm. it feels like they're like now in the process of we don't believe in this guy the way we maybe thought as a new defensive yeah. coordinator is coming in. So I'll say that, but there's yeah. not a wrong answer in this group. I agree with you. I mean, they asked Stefanski about it, and he said that you know Elliot needed part of that. You know, needed that to be ready uh, for the season or something like that. It was, okay. it was, it was generic, right? It was like we, the guys that are playing, it's part of our plan, you know, to have them ready for the season. He needed but those I, 12 snaps in the whole. That's what I'm saying. I, I agree with you, Jake, that I think this is about evaluating the player. And I, I think this is, you know, I, I, you know, Jack Duffin works with us at the OBR. He does great work. And I, generally do not like disagreeing with his predictions because he's he's right so much of the time he, you know when they redid his contract i was on the same page with with jack that that guaranteed money it's like i don't know one and a half or two million dollars two and a half it's some it's some amount of change that they guaranteed him in exchange for a slightly reduced salary um that that kind of wrapped up his roster spot i think that in this case is dubious because They've got Ika, who's definitely on the team, right? And then they've got, you know, sort of the sampler platter of other guys that might get involved, Togi I and Hurst and Hill. Uh, you know, any of those guys could could I'll potentially take a DT sampler platter, please. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. sticks come with that? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Well, it, it's like the you know, when you get that the appetizer at the the, the bad sports bar and they're still oh, yeah. cold in the middle, you know, oh, where it's like the, the cheese is still a little frozen. It's yeah, that's the DT sampler. These potato skins microwave, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're just kinda <laughs> they're just kind of soggy on the plate there. That's uh-huh. yeah, that's the DT sampler that we're enjoying. Um so I but I just wonder if you add a player like Harris, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Now you've got Thomas and Harris Ika for sure. If Hurst, you know improves over over his first showing or Tristan Hill shows something once he gets back on the field I can see a scenario where they look at what Elliott did in the Hall of Fame game and he's gonna go out there again against Washington if he doesn't put some good reps on tape through the preseason is my point how does Jim Schwartz get excited about that guy being on the roster I just don't see it happening because I have a I have a counterpoint to Jack's point there any non-rookie playing in the Hall of Fame game is not guaranteed to make the roster that's just right. the fact of the that's matter. yeah that's and that's, like, that's much more succinct than what I said <laughs> they're telling you they're telling you right like if he was a starter and they really believed in him they didn't dress yeah. like 17 guys more than that like 25 30, 30, 30 guys some, yeah, 30 yeah some, like yeah. He wouldn't have been out there. Yeah, and and Jack, we're not trying to pick on you. No, it's just, we're not at all. I think it's so interesting that they redid the contract and put themselves in the situation where they have to potentially waste this money. But if he plays like he played in the Hall of Fame game through the rest of the preseason, you cannot put him on this roster, and you certainly can't start him against Cincinnati Week One. No, no, yeah. there's yeah. No, there's nothing I can even add to that. That would be yeah. for all of the criticism they've received. 
right from that position group last year and they did go sign dalvin tomlinson who i mm-hmm. like i don't mm-hmm. love i'm not crazy like that isn't a I'm trying to think of a i mean that's not javon hargrave of a signing i, I right. think i think tomlinson right. is fine and i think he's good it most for the most part but that's just one and you didn't do any of the three five seven million dollar play and they could fix this this could all be moot they could fix this after we get done with this episode hell tomorrow morning That'd be but cool. they're are very fair concerns about the group still. And yeah. I, I mean, I can't say it yeah. any nicer than how we're saying it. Yeah. Very fair concerns. So the next, and, and, go ahead. Well, on that point about Tomlinson, he would be my choice for who has the most at stake just because he That's has not fair. traditionally played more than 50 or 60% of snaps over the course of a year. Uh, and so, uh, which while we're talking about Jack Duffin is a point that Jack has made repeatedly. So hats off to him for that because it's, mm-hmm. it's a great piece of analysis because what that tells you is that, you know, so he doesn't play third downs. He's never played third downs. Right. And, and you're, so you're thinking about, they signed Dalvin Tomlinson and it's like, okay, well that's one position fixed. It's not, it's a half of one position fixed. Yeah. It's even a third. I think you need three guys who are competent in there to, to feel really, really good. Oh, about I, no, I agree. I think three, I mean, I think the way Schwartz plays it, he wants to rotate all four. I think all four defensive tackles will play yeah. again, why they can't we'll afford at, to carry a guy like Elliot. You'll look at the Philly defensive tackle. Room. Exactly. That's right. Just have a, just have a it has to be four that. dudes. It has to be. Yeah. We'll see what he and can the, make and out of it. The Browns are we'll like three dudes short. <laughs> they're just three short. Now, the edge guys could bump inside and they could find sure. a way to make some things work. We're going to be yeah, very open minded about this. But the volume at which those guys typically play inside is nowhere near what it. you think. That's it. Um, it's overrated as a solution to this problem because it's not it enough volume wise. Yeah. Um, all right. So touching on the next one, which is biggest position battle, I think it's just finding a second. I don't have anyone to name. I have no yeah. like position player, but it's just who all the hell's of the your second. Yeah. Who's your second that's guy? Right. Who's your second guy? Well, and that's why they're talking you know? to Shelby Harris, right? Because they don't have a second guy. That's what, that's what bringing Shelby Harris in for a visit admits is that they don't have a second guy. So that's why they need to make that signing. And, you know, if, if I was in the room, I would be doing the thing on Madden where you, add another, you know, two million dollars to the offer just to get it done right away rather than letting them wait, you know, another turn through the mm-hmm. free agency mill. That's what I would be doing. That's not Andrew Barry's MO, obviously. Yeah, he has a price that he's shared. Controller, Andrew. Right. Bump up the millions. Please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just turn that turn that four into a five and Shelby Harris will be on a plane tomorrow. That's how it works. You guys heard it here. They actually do that. They do the same free agency style. It's just right. It's like they do rounds of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'd like them to sign somebody. They, they, they got a lot of criticism from people last year, but it came later. We tried to trust them on it. Right. They will not get the same benefit of the doubt this year with those guys. Yeah. If they don't sign somebody for that group or trade. Yep. Because going into the year, if you claim someone, those guys typically are not week one, but, and again, claiming someone that someone else let go very rarely works out it just very rarely works out for the in-season type of thing right so yeah we'll leave it at that pressure's on that's the biggest position battle andrew barry against a free agent that is honestly the biggest position battle (laughs) that's such a good way of putting it and you you know you talk about andrew barry was in philadelphia learned from howie roseman for a little bit the eagles yesterday signed miles jack and zach cunningham on the same day because they They've been in training camp for a week, and they're like, our linebackers aren't good enough. So we're going to go out and sign Same two veteran thing with linebackers. Have a exactly. land, they had Landon Roberts and, and Cole Holcomb, and they're like, we got to get something more yep. in here. To, here comes Quan Alexander. The Browns haven't done. made a single like veteran signing, the guy that you would expect to be on the roster since camp started. They need so, to fix it. You know, 
for all this talk about like they're all in this year and put all the chips in the table, you know, how much they expect to compete. They have been very conservative about adding any more cheap veterans. There are guys out there. Like I'm not trying to oversell any of these guys, but there are guys out there and they haven't made any of those moves yet. Yeah. I'd like somebody to figure out what the hell Matt Ioannidis is doing. Has anyone checked his house? Is he alive? Yeah. After I call Jamarcus, I'll call Matt. Yeah. So we'll have full report on that later in the week. Yeah, just going to do some do some cell phone calls. Um, mm-hmm. All right, but who will rise and who will fall? I don't know. I don't think there's any. <laughs> do you have any hope? I mean, Tommy Togi, I played so a great. pretty good Hall of Fame game. I thought this he actually so played. Great. He actually showed a pulse in the Hall of yeah. Fame game. I think I if think... you it, let me say this: if you if you have a, a guy who will fall, I'm going to be careful with the language here. I think it's going to be Dalvin Tomlinson, just because people have a really high expectation of him, yep. and yep. I don't think he's going to impact games in the way that you think. Not maybe you think, but but the way you're expecting. I do think he'll impact the run game, and I do think he'll eat up blockers when he's rushing the passer, but he's not going to make a bunch of wow defensive tackle plays. He's going to be just consistent. They're paying for a guy who's a professional in there, which, again, is very needed, right? Very needed, but it's not like they signed some high-end pass-rushing defensive tackle. So he'll make some plays. He'll be here and there, but he's not going to wow you. So I think that in terms of public perception – there's a chance he falls, even if he has a good year. And I'm not here to say he's not going to have a good year. I damn well expect him to have a pretty good year based on who's around him. So I'll say that the rising side is very slim, Andrew. It's very slim. I mean, again, they're just hoping somebody can can rise up that's on the roster right now. They're really yeah. hoping for anybody, even to the point where, again, I was watching Sam Kamara take those snaps, and I'm like, Okay. okay, this is something. Okay. This is yeah. like, you know, there's actual yeah, anchoring yeah. And, and and shedding and pursuing and motor. All of that mm-hmm. stuff. I, Showing know, a real motor is what I noticed. Yeah. And Taki, I should say, Siaki uh, Ika, um yeah. Apu Ika is 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 was good against the run. He anchored really yeah. well. He was immovable at times. That uh, would be my immovable. rise, my vote for a rise, because there's a scenario where by the end of the season he's your he's your first and second down nose mm-hmm. and is just given teams fits not anything flashy but just given teams fits in 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 the run game early downs playing 40 50 percent of snaps and and really helping in that situation and that would be a great outcome for a player picked where he was and i think that if if you could tell me right now that that would happen i'd feel all all of this like energy that we're bringing to this and worry would come down about two notches because you know then that allows dalvin tomlinson to play more in the three be a little bit more of a freelancer, a little bit more of a penetrator, which I think is, you know, would, would help then the, the pass rush and those sorts of things. So I think it could be a, it's like a win-win. So if, if Ika could rise, that would solve so many of their problems. Yeah. Put him in the shade, let him eat an A gap and and that matters. Right. And then you yeah. could, you could get one of Tristan Hill or Maurice Hurst to just be pass down players, right? Exactly. Just be exactly. a pass down player. Right. You got something, you got a little bit of potentially something. Then you'd have right? some ingredients. Yep. Yeah. Not, not, not again, not a, you're, you're kind of guessing. Don't know mm-hmm. how the exact amount I should use of this ingredient, but we'll try to use it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. I, again, I think Ika deserves a little bit of credit. He was fine. He was a non-factor against the pass, but yeah, know, I mean, yeah. that's not at all unexpected given uh, what we saw on tape for him. And, and, you know, like we said about, about Dalvin, um, you know, he's not a third down guy. He hasn't been, is he going to be a third down guy? Well, no, that would be an uptick. He's never played over a hundred third downs in a season before, right? which is a bit like, Oh, all right. Are they expecting that? And mm-hmm. uh, we'll see, we'll see about it. Cause there's just, yep. there's some very fair question marks at this point. The long-term outlook is 
Tomlinson will be here for probably two years after this year. And then I, I really, there's a world in which it's Tomlinson and Ika and next year it's completely different bodies all around them. I yeah. think it's, it's more than if you had to put money on it, I would bet that way Yeah, that it's completely different names. Well, yeah. And another, I agree with you. Another reason to highlight Siaki Ika is, uh, you know, this front office has done a really poor job at drafting this position, right? Jordan yeah. Elliott, Tommy Togi, Perion Winfrey before Ika. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, I mean, we know I don't have to rehash where those guys stand. They're, they're two of them are on the bubble. One's off the team already. Uh, if, if Ika doesn't hit now, you start to really worry, is this something you can even solve through the draft? Right. And so then Maybe I mean this is this is a little bit crazy, but do the Browns just pivot to bringing in, you know, like three, uh, you know, like they did Maurice Hurst and Tristan Hill next year? Do they do three of those, you know, where they're just bringing in like journeyman NFL players? I mean, you know, they they had Vincent Taylor here in 2020. I'd rather Vincent Taylor on this roster than Jordan Elliott, Tommy Toe. I mean, any of those guys towards the back end. So. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the reasons that you want them to be more aggressive is because most journeyman defensive tackles play better than the Browns defensive tackles they've drafted. And that's a real problem when you're talking about the long-term situation. How do you solve this problem if you can't draft a defensive tackle that can play? If it hits again here where they, they've clearly Schwartz was heavily involved in the, the Apu signing here, but are drafting him. If it misses again, they need to have an overhaul of whoever's leading the scouting department in terms yep. of this position. Do we need to bring in a guru? What are we doing? Because we're not learning. <laughs> right. We're not learning. Yep. Yeah, you can't this. go over four. And especially if say Dalvin doesn't meet what you're hoping. And mm. it's great like, point. Great point. Yeah, oh, man, they can't even sign this thing. Right. right. So right. a lot on the line for the, I mean, we're, we're kind of doing a little bit of mocking here and we are also leaving a plenty of wiggle room around. They have time to fix this time sure. is getting, getting very very uh uncomfortable but there is still a route to fixing this whole thing but you know at this point it is uh it is it is a position group with a lot of stuff on the line like a lot of stuff on the line for them it feels like if if you wanted harris for example to be ready week one against cincinnati soon you'd want him in the building by the end of the week right soon soon very soon yeah yeah so we'll leave it at that that's defensive tackle i don't mean to be negative but what is well, there to feel optimistic about outside of Dalvin? And there's a lot of pressure, as you mentioned, on Dalvin to be a guy who's he's almost viewed as a savior of the position right. group, right? Which is nerve wracking. And then he's going to there's going to be shots of him on the sidelines. So people are going to lose their minds, uh, especially on third downs. Uh, yeah. You know, Jake, the thing that you said that's the most salient here is we gave them a pass on this at the beginning of last year, and we shouldn't. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people are I I know that we get heat sometimes, you and me, for being negative. Uh, but I, I, the reason we're doing it in this case is because you can't, you cannot get to week four this year like they did last year in Atlanta and figure out that you don't have anybody that can play defensive tackle. Now, I, I, I think we both think Tomlinson will be okay or average or above it, whatever. But like they can't have a repeat of last year, and I, I think it's very easy sitting here on August seventh to say that they're on their way to a repeat of last year. Uh, you know, yeah. I, one guy doesn't fix this room is our point. And so that's why we're, you know, we've got this kind of tone and, and attitude is they've, they have not addressed this position in the way that we thought they had to after what happened last year. Last year was a debacle. And so you hope the scheme change eliminates some of that, but 
your point about like we were we were prosaic about this last year. We're like, oh, they'll figure it out. They've got a bunch of pieces and they'll figure out how they fit together. And they never did. That can't happen again this year. If it does, that is a huge strike in the in the resume of Andrew Barry. Yeah. It just it just right. is. I think right. a lot of people have gotten comfortable pinning the decisions around defensive tackle last year on Joe Woods. Mm-hmm. And I've thought at times this is unfair. And uh I'm just like I said, I I'm <laughs> I'm trying to be careful with how I say it, but it is more than fair to attach Andrew Barry to those decisions last year. And if it happens for a second season in a row where they're trotting these guys out there, you're looking at it, man. You're really looking at it. You're really looking at a dicey thing for a GM. So again, to get off negativeville, uh, so people aren't mad at us. I think we've covered this every (laughs) angle we can cover it. They better do something. They better yeah. do something about the, this. Group. The opportunity is there for so many of these guys to step up, right? I mean, so many open spots in this rotation. So, like, whether it's through coaching or scheme, uh, get some of these guys to 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 kind of change their career trajectory. And and you know, they they don't have to be world beaters. They have to be league average, a little bit below, like twentieth best defensive tackle room in the league. That's within their reach, but they have to show up and do it and and the reason i think we're feeling this way is because you saw the guy that's supposed to be starting you know in the hall of fame game and he was poor against the jets second string offensive line i'm just gonna say they have to sign somebody they have yeah. to agreed they have to agreed. sign someone agreed that's the easiest way to put it yeah i don't think there's any in between on this at, at this point so yep. uh, all right that's defense tackle that's a whole podcast we'll have some stuff for you tomorrow <laughs> off day uh, it's not so we don't have any practice at least not uh, available are they completely off tomorrow andrew or are they yeah, just not players day off tomorrow players day off tomorrow okay so yeah. um we'll you don't know, hit some quotes i think there's some quotes we left some meat on the bone for some of these uh, i think especially uh bill callahan's um stuff there i yeah. think we can hit on some of that so there. yeah yeah we'll, we'll be back with you until then I, I think we've covered every angle we can possibly cover of this uh practice and <laughs> Uh, where they're at in the defensive tackle room. So thanks for stopping by and joining us. We appreciate Andrew's time. Obviously, you know, it, it's a uh, it's valuable time you got there, Andrew. So thanks, buddy. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Jake. <laughs> All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Stop by, check out the OBR. You're going to have your live wire, constant updates, everything about the team. Hell, they might even sign a defensive tackle tomorrow. You never know at which point you can read it at the OBR, which has a 60% off sale still going on. You should take advantage of it. Join us at the OBR. Thanks for being here. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great Tuesday. And go around. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off.
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.